many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, fam? It's your boy, MD. Welcome to the show. This is going live to supporters because I love my supporter tribe. Uh, thank you for subscribing. You get this stuff first, completely uncensored. We'll decide whether to censor it for the main uh, audience when we put it out. The way we do it now is we go live to supporters, we get your comments, we interact with you, and then we go to a podcast in a couple days, so that's out to the world, and then to uh, the main page for everybody to watch uh, via web posts, YouTube, all that. But getting it here first means you get your questions answered, and today we have a crazy story. This is insane. So you guys all remember Dr. Kathy Travnicek from three previous episodes that she's been on. She is a physical med and rehab doc right here in Las Vegas, specializes in pain. So we've done shows on Dilaudid, we've done shows on running ultra marathons and crazy endurance sports, and we've done shows on, you know, should physicians be packing guns, all kinds of crazy topics. Kathy T is our go-to person. But something crazy happened in the last few months. I got a text from Kathy T and she's like, I'm in the hospital and you'll never believe what happened. So she's here today to talk about what happened because it is a cautionary tale for all of us. Kathy T, welcome to the show. Well, hello. How are you? You look good, girl. I, I well, I'm fully recovered, 100% good and I'm exercising again and so. And, and, and the thing is like, you almost died and yet, here you are, st- you, you just got back from Egypt, you're going to Toronto to speak, you're on the circuit talking about pain management and things like this, but <laughs> the thing is, you almost died. And when I got that text from you, I remember just going, oh my gosh, what? It just started at the beginning, like what happened? And walk us through it because it is insane. It really is insane. <clears throat> and I would have never thought that it it would happen. So I'm at Hubert Keller's birthday party. Okay. That's oh, a private wow, birthday yeah. party. Big chef guy. Yeah. And I'm hanging out talking. I'd been there for about eight hours. I actually, before I went, I, that morning I ran 18 miles. I had, you lunch. know, just a morning run, <laughs> morning, 18 miles. Easy run. So you guys who don't know, Kathy's like a serious endurance athlete. So she, uh, is crazy. She's, you've climbed Everest a couple times. In my dreams, but oh, yes. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. So go on. So you're at, at, at Keller's party. Yeah. And before I'd, I'd went there at one o'clock, I'd had some lunch. So I go to the party around two and around 9 p.m. Um, I'm talking, I'm hanging out and I had not had that much to drink that day. I'd had maybe a glass or two of wine and I would had some food. Um, I got a severe like sudden severe headache and it started in the back of my head and it radiated to the front. It felt like electric lightning. 
And I remember going, oh, oh. And I was talking to someone, and they said, you know, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Because in my mind, I thought, oh, this this will go away. And it just kept shooting, and I said, I'll be right back. <laughs> and I went, and I sat down with my friends uh, who were with me there, and I said, hey, guys, I got a really bad headache. And they said, are you okay? You're okay? And in my mind, I'm always okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then I felt sick, so I went to the, one of the back bathrooms, went in the bathroom, locked the door, and had nausea and vomiting in the bathroom for about 20 minutes. And as I'm throwing up and laying on the floor feeling sick, I'm kind of like, what is this? I'm probably dehydrated, maybe I have a virus, because I had thrown up my lunch, which I'd eaten at one o'clock, it's now 9 p.m. So in my mind, I had some virus. So I'm thinking, I have to get home, how am I gonna get home? I can't drive like this. Are you still having the headache, the crazy? I'm severe headache. Have you ever had anything like that? Never had a headache ever in my life, period, never. Never had a headache. And um, so I get up about, it was about 20, 30 minutes later, I get up and I walk out. And I feel, I'm, I'm convincing myself that I'm okay, I'm going to drive home, and I'm just going to sleep this off. Wow. And this is at Keller's party. This is at Keller's party. And, and let me just recap. And so, I didn't want to tell anybody because of where I was at. Oh, my gosh. I pretended I was totally fine because I was embarrassed. I didn't want to cause a scene. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and you now, this running 18 miles in the morning, that's not unusual for you. No. I run 18, 20 miles every Sunday. That's crazy. Thank you. And also awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so at this point... You're embarrassed. You're like, I'm just going to get home, walk it off, sleep it off, all yep. that. Yep. So I, I drive home. I didn't have any other symptoms. The drunk feeling went away. I, I didn't really feel drunk, but the severe headache was there. And um, I made sure not to drive interstates. I drove the side roads home, and I pulled over every mile or two to throw up. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I would wait, and then I drove to the house, parked, and went upstairs, got in bed, and laid down, and thought, okay, good, I'm safe, I'm at home, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll, I'll be fine, I'll sleep a few hours, I'll go to work in the morning, this will be fine. And as the night went on, I got some sleep, but the nausea vomiting resolved, and the headache got worse. Wow. And, you know, as a pain management specialist, I'm going through how bad is the headache? What, how bad could this really be? What is this on the pain scale? Because, you know, when I'm explaining to patients who, you know, they come in, they circle their whole body, they write 20 plus. Right. And I'm like, hey, let's talk about what a 10 out of 10 is. You're getting mauled by a bear. You've been hit by a car. It's dragging you down the road. You know, all these, you know, ideas of what 10 out of 10 pain is. And when I thought about those, no, it's not really a 10. It's my, I don't know, it's moderate pain. It's pretty bad. But I can get up. I walked around. I drove home. And I was thinking about the ultras. There are a few ultras that were very, very painful. And I'm like, well, it's definitely not that. And so I was trying to put it in context of my experiences of how bad the pain was. Mm. So I rationalized it wasn't that bad. It was going to be okay. Mm. And then we're um, really good at rationalizing as doctors, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and you we're good at going into work when we're sick. We're yeah. good at sucking it up. Yeah. We're good at all those things. And yeah. nurses are even better at it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, so I realized I needed to go to the ER in the morning when I stood up out of bed and everything went white and I had a severe headache and I fell back in bed. So wow. I said, okay, that was bad. Now I have, I can't function. So now I'm going to go to the ER. This is ER status now. 
but the pain in my mind, I thought, you know, I can handle this. I kept telling myself, I'm tougher than this. I can handle this. It's not that bad. And you have a trained mind because you're running ultras and doing these extreme things that require mind over body. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're working through a lot of pain or, uh, you know, it's a lot of mental tasking. Yeah. <clears throat> so I called my neighbor who had incidentally had a ischemic stroke six months earlier and I'd wow. help him, you know, with his dog and stuff. So he took my dog Yogi and he drove me to the hospital. And I remember, you know, it's Vegas in June. So it's very sunny. And I remember it being very bright and I had my sunglasses on, but it's Vegas in June and everybody has photophobia. Right? right. So I didn't really recognize it as a symptom until I got into the hospital um, because then it was like kind of hard to see things. Um, so the first hospital I went to, um, <clears throat> no names, please. No names. Yeah. No names. Um, perfect. There was nobody in the waiting room. I got right in triage right away. And I'm at this point. So sorry, I forgot to mention when I was at my house, I was taking my vitals. I was doing a physical exam on myself. I was doing, I was like, maybe I blew a C2, three disc and I'm like doing neck tenderness. And I, I mean, I'm seriously doing diagnostic triaging at my house. Of course you are. Yeah. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> This, I mean, I would do the same thing. I've done that. Yeah, meningeal signs, the yep. whole thing. And I had nuchal rigidity at this point. I couldn't move my head because I got a severe headache. Wow. So I'm sitting in the chair and I'm looking up at the PA like this because I can't look up. My eyes are going up. And so I explained to her the story. I said, yes, I have a severe headache. It's n I don't have a history of headache. This is completely new. I tell her the story, but what she heard was I was at a party I had a glass of wine and now I have a headache. That's all she heard. Wow. And so she looks at me and says, after I tell her the whole story. And, and, and she's, she's seeing a young woman. Yes. Yeah. Young woman, mm -hmm. um, blonde, Vegas, whatever. And, but I can't move my head. And she still says to me, oh, it sounds like a wine headache. We'll give you the migraine cocktail and we'll send you home. And the fire that just, boy, I was, I was fucking pissed. Yeah. I was so pissed because... First of all, I'm a pain management physician. I wouldn't be in the ER for fucking wine headache, okay? And I've had wine in my day. I've never gotten a headache from it. Two, I run ultras. And, and I said this to her. I said, I'm a pain management physician. I know I, I have to assess pain every day. Two, I run ultras. I'm running 50-mile races all the time. And number three, I wouldn't be in the fucking ER with a wine headache. Get me the doctor now. Like, that's all I said. And I couldn't look at her. Like, at that point, I'd look down. So I don't know what her reaction was. All I know is she was gone, and I was in the back, and I was talking to the ER doctor right away. Wow. Holy shit. So had I not advocated for myself, or had I not, you know, kept rationalizing I was okay, which I had been doing the 12 hours before, um, I would have got the, probably got the cocktail and sent home, and then who knows what would have happened. Uh and you know, I mean, I can tell you right now, like what that PA was thinking is like, oh, here's a fucking great example of how doctors are the worst fucking patients. Yep. Like she thinks she knows everything. She's talking down to me, even from, she can't make eye contact with me, this and this and this. Yes. That's what she's thinking. Yeah. Right? And I couldn't, and I, but I told her, you know, I cannot move my head to look up at you. And she said, do you have any neck tenderness? And I remember saying, no, I've done the exam. I've did all my physical exam stuff at home. I can't move my head. I have nuchal rigidity. It hurts, you know, the headache's severe. My neurological exam's normal. I'm showing her my reflex. And yeah. And you're afebrile, right? Completely. I checked my temperature at home. Right. I was monitor, monitor, monitoring my pulse at home. But still, for some reason in my mind, I had a virus. I yeah. had early meningitis or something. Because in my mind, 
I was looking at everything that had happened and trying to figure out from my happened that day what this could be, but bleed never crossed my mind. Well, common things happen commonly, right? Yes. So you're thinking, oh, it was a viral meningitis, some kind of viral, yes. you, even a, another viral syndrome with headache. You, you've never had anything like this and you've been through a lot of stuff. Yeah. Oh my God. And you know, yep. did they do any labs or anything off the bat? Yeah, so I was, uh, right when they took me back, <clears throat> there was a nurse who was on her computer facing away from me and she says, well, what do you want for pain? And this is, this is actually the first thing that happened. Mm. And I said, well, um, just IV Tylenol be fine. I don't really want anything else. She said, oh, you know, we don't have IV Tylenol, but we have Toradol and morphine. So which one do you want? <laughs> and I said, don't give me the morphine. I don't want that. Um, I'll just take the Toradol. Because again, I'm not, think I'm not thinking I have a bleed. I'm yeah. completely, it's, vir it's viral, I'll get some antibiotics, or I'll get some treatment and I'll be out of here. Wow. Um, and uh, so she almost gives it to me and then says, you know what, let me check with the doctor first. And so she went to the back and he said, no, I'm ruling out a head bleed. Oh, so wow. she came back and said, I can't give you any blood thinning medications because we are ruling out a bleed. And that's at that point I was like, oh, it's, it ain't that, but that's okay. So <laughs> it's funny. It's yeah. funny. How many patients have come into the emergency department? First of all, like, I don't want the morphine. Okay. Yeah. Fucking give me IV Tylenol. Yeah. Who says that? Yeah, I do. Nobody yeah. except for Kathy T. Because you know why? Because Kathy T has years of experience managing pain. Now, this is this is what really fucking chaps my hide. Is there are so many patients who are effectively dependent on opioids, mm -hmm. who think that IV Tylenol is a joke and this and this and this, and that's not how yep. you manage pain, and they're so fucking wrong. Yep, yep. But that's all right, that's another subject. I actually learned that, so I learned how powerful Tylenol was as a pain management tool in my internship at University of Nevada, Reno. We would have elderly patients come in mm. with hip fractures, and they couldn't tolerate the opiates, and we would give them Tylenol scheduled, and they would do fine. They do fine. They do fine. Yep, yep, you yep. You don't need an opiate for that. Heaven and forbid. I learned that in internship, and I've carried that with me throughout my entire uh, career. Now see, we, we trained at different times. You know what I learned in internship? That IV we're under-treating pain, yeah. and that narcotics don't lead to addiction in people who have any pain of any sort. Yes. Fucking it's bull crazy. shit. It's yeah. crazy. So, it's so crazy. back to you in that emergency room having the worst headache, the first headache of your life. Mm -hmm. The first, the very first headache of your life. Yeah. Forget about worst. Yep. Nuchal rigidity, your neck is stiff. You've sent the PA out, the, doc, the yeah. doctor's here. <laughs> yeah. You know, and sometimes the doctor's worse than, you know, anybody else. He was fantastic. That's awesome. I, he, I, the ER doctor's fantastic. He took me seriously. And um, he said, the first thing he said was, I don't think you have meningitis. I've seen a lot of meningitis cases even early. You just, something else is going on. So wow. he had a feeling it was something else. He mm. just didn't know what. So had the labs, had the CT head. And um, the whole time I'm there, I'm just observing the ER, watching patients, trying to just distract myself. And I refused any pain medication while I was there. I was like, I just, I don't need it. I can, to I can tolerate this. Because mm. the headache would it would pulsate and then it would crescendo and like sp spike and then it would descendo. Wow. And so, and so I was just paying attention to my, to the headache and my heart rate and just the, you know, the physiological mechanisms that were happening. Um, and then they called my name and they brought me back and they give me a gown. They said, you need to put this on. They started putting EKG leads on. We need to hook you up. We need to monitor you. And I said, oh shit. Oh, wow. 
Then I got scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then I got scared and I went blank and I thought, I, then I went, when I went blank, I couldn't think of what it could be. You're just, you're panicked, you're scared, you're vulnerable. You turn into a 100% patient. There's no doctor there. Like I'm not being a doctor now. Now I'm just a vulnerable patient. And I got in bed and the doctor came in with a nurse and they both grabbed my hand and I'm thinking, I have cancer. Like I was just like, I didn't, you know, when they come in and do that. That's where your mind jumped. That's to, where my to mind cancer. jumped, you know, because I'm just, I'm just scared. So yeah. there's no rational thought. You're of just course. scared. And so um, he said, you know, I, I can't believe I'm saying to this, this to you, but you have a subarachnoid hemorrhage and it's not that small. And we need to transfer you to the level one trauma center here in town. You're probably going to need a neurosurgical procedure. Wow. And I, I just started bawling. Oh, my God. I just and that's when I lost it. And that's when I I, I texted you because I yeah. knew where I was going. I'm yeah. like, you need to come see me in the hospital. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. then uh, my parents and then, you know, other people that... Uh, that I'm close with, made sure my dog was okay, and then texted the guy who dropped me off who has uh, who had a stroke. I had told him, ah, just get some antibiotics or I'll get some fluids or something. I'll be fine. You'll come pick me up in an hour. And I text him. I'm like, I actually had a stroke. <laughs> Holy crap. And so then I got real. I had a stroke. And I'm th in my 30s, and I had a stroke. That It's unbelievable. Yeah. When I got the text from you, I was my jaw had dropped, right? And yeah. immediately I talked to my wife who actually does a lot of neuroradiology at nights and was, you know, I think we ended up looking at your yeah. films. Yeah. yeah. And, but, but, but that's, we're cutting ahead. And, you know, you're the, the hospital you were transferring to was the right answer. So yes. everything was being done correctly. Correct. And, oh my gosh, man. And you're kind of alone in Vegas, right? Or do you have- Yeah, no, I'm, I'm alone. And yeah. my parents are in Mississippi. Um, and then my boyfriend is in LA. I have friends all over the country. Yeah. And I do have friends here. Um, but in terms of direct family, nobody's There's here. There's nobody here. And so I was just telling people to come travel in. And then everybody that I knew who was a neurosurgeon, I would I'd call. And I couldn't text yeah. very well because mm -hmm. the the light, the screen of the light was causing, I was having that photosensitivity. Even that much light. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I, the, you know, when I was crying uncontrollably, I couldn't call people. I had to wait for that to go away before oh. I could make a phone call. I, I love how so, you, it's, it's like, that was a condition that I suffered from for a minute where I was crying uncontrollably. Yeah. I needed to wait for that to resolve. Yeah, that resolved. And then I made the phone call. <laughs> and then you made the phone call. <laughs> 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 oh, man. I'm just glad you're alive to laugh about it now and to talk about it and to spread the word. So at this point, you probably got... So t tell me, keep going with the story because this is something everybody needs to hear because first of all, young people get strokes. Second of all, we deny women's symptoms all the time. It's a wine headache. Come on. Fucking come on. Number next, okay, how do we manage this now and and, and how did it happen? We're, everybody's got the questions. We're all on the edge of our seats. Right. Tell us the story. Okay. So I get transferred to UMC right away uh, in an ambulance. And that ride wouldn't have been so bad had it not been for all the bumps. Every time I hit a bump, I was like, oh. Ooh, and then it would go down. And the guys, they were trying to tell stories to, you know, distract me. And they would EMS keep. Guys. Yeah, yeah. And anytime we would hit it, it'd say, oh, they'd be like, we have morphine. We have morphine. <laughs> and I said, I don't want the morphine. Because it would spike to a 10. It'd be severe. But yeah. then it would go come down. Right. It would go. It would go down to more of a moderate level. So I could tolerate a few seconds of a 10 out of 10. Um, and so I didn't want the medication. Mm. And then, so I get, get to, we get to UMC, I get into the ER, which that ER is, that packed like 
balls to the wall that ER is. Dude, that ER is crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. We've shot videos it's in crazy. that ER. It's yeah. crazy. So that's where um, we shot readmission. My so two of my friends in town came to the ER to be with me, and they were scared. Like they were full on scared. Wow! In, <laughs> yeah. in the emergency department. Yeah, department yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It was pretty. That was the funniest part. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to calm them down. Right, right, right. <laughs> in my right. own ER room. Right. <laughs> I've been in that position. Yeah. yeah it's wow. So funny. And and the nurses were the nurse was fantastic. The ER doctor was fantastic. The the initial um, process there was great. They mm-hmm. were great. The funny thing is. So the ER doctor, they go through the medical history and they ask you about your medications. The nurse comes through, does the same thing, asks you your medications. Um, and this is when I'd realized I was going to be admitted. And so the pharmacist comes in and he asks my medications, my home medications. I got two home medications. Mm. And I had like four or five. And then there was somebody else who asked me, maybe it was a resident. Um, so four people. And they were never even ordered. Mm. Not that that's like huge, but think about it. You have four people coming in doing a job and I've got the ER doctor putting it in and then I've got the nurse checking it and then I'm being transferred to the neuro ICU. The resident's supposed to check that and the pharmacist is supposed to check it. Mm. And they were all missed. Mm. I mean, for patients who are complicated, I thought, how often does this happen? Every single fucking day. It's crazy. Yeah. No, it's crazy because we don't have a system. Yeah. We have chaos. Yes. We don't have a process. We have a bunch of parallel processes all competing with each other. Yeah. We don't do it right in the hospital at all. And I'll tell you this as a hospital specialist, it is a fucking shit show most of the time in yeah. every every organization. And I was shocked because I thought these are like not high level meds. I got two meds. Yeah. yeah it's not a big deal. Yeah. So, um, but while I was in the ER, I got the, the CTA. Now, when I got the CTA, it had been about 16, 18 hours after the initial headache. Um, this is me after I'd gone back and kind of wrote all this down. Later on, after I'd recovered, I'd wrote the, the history down. So mm. I'm realizing that now is about 16, 18 hours. And as I'm transferring from one bed to the other bed in the CTA room, I got this severe sacral pain. And it wasn't low back pain, it was sacral, and it outlined my sacrum. And it was so bad, it took my breath away. It was worse than the headache. And I thought, okay, yeah, the headache's not a 10, that's a 10. And I remember sitting there, and I gasped, and the CT tech said, are you okay? Uh, Yeah, 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 I'm fine, you know me. Yeah, 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 Yeah. I'm fine, fine, Just, just some back, just some sacral pain, it's fine. And I remember thinking, oh shit, what is that? Yeah. I don't know what that is. And it was not from bed rest because I had only been laying in a bed for a few hours. It wasn't, and I, you know, it couldn't have been bed rest. And it wasn't my low back either. So get the CTA. Um, so CT angiogram, so they're outlining the vessels in your brain. Yes, yes. And boy, is it weird getting that contrast. Tell me about that because a lot of people say this, but no one tells the patient. So, so Except for the great techs. Yeah. Yes, that nobody told me except the tech. And so I get in there and he says, it's going to be hot. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to spread throughout your body. And it's going to feel like you have to urinate. Yeah. And I thought, oh, yeah, that not a big deal, whatever. It's really uncomfortable. And it started in my arm and it when he put in the contrast and it went up and then it spread into my head and my face to where my mouth felt hot. And I opened my mouth because I was like, <gasps> going to breathe fire, like, get the heat out because it felt so hot. And then it went down my body. It felt like I had to urinate. And then it was over. But I thought, I don't want to do that again. I don't. That's not How fun. interesting. You never it hear didn't that. like yeah. that. And so yeah. and I was just trying to ask people, you know, when you start asking people um, very detailed questions questions that are physics really questions like why do I feel hot oh it's the ion movements (laughs) (laughs) 
nobody has a fucking clue, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, you know, at that point, I was like, good enough for me. You yeah. know, I was so tired and just kind of oh, burnt wow. out. It was fine. So I, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah, that's pretty good. So I get up into the neuro ICU, and this is when I realized I missed the days of paper charts. Tell me why. <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> so I'm in the ICU and I hadn't had fluids and I knew I'd had that contrast. I knew I was getting uh, another femoral angio, uh, angio uh, through femoral approach. T tell tell, the, tell the people who don't know why contrast and not getting fluids is a thing, is a bad problem. Kidney failure. Yeah. Kidney failure. One of the complications of IV yeah, contrast. And it's not uncommon. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm dehydrated. I haven't had anything to drink. I just had a contrast scan and they told me they're going to order fluids. They didn't order fluids or they did. And then I got transferred before I got them. Right. And so now I'm in the ICU and the nurse is fantastic. The nurses in the neuro ICU are fantastic. Oh, hell yeah. And so I'm telling her, I really need IV fluids. I, you can starve me for 10 days. I don't care. I need IV fluids. And she's, I can see the doctors rounding with their little... Uh, computer thing the wows workstation yeah. on wheels yeah yeah anyways <laughs> um i miss the day when we could call them cows why but can't you call them cows apparently a patient overheard residents calling talking about their cow and they thought they were talking about the patient because patient was obese <laughs> <laughs> and so then in the infinite wisdom of management, they were like, uh, from here oh for hither, henceforth shall it be written that we shall call them WOWs, <laughs> workstation on wheels, instead of computers on wheels, which is what they are. Uh, oh my so, God, that's so, awesome. So the residents have got the cows. The cow. Yes. Okay, so I see the cow, the wow. <laughs> that's right. And I, I, you know, I remember saying to her, can you just just pop over there and just tell them that I haven't had fluids. I'm going to have another contrast. All they need to do is order some fluids. It's all I need. I don't, I'm not, I don't want to complain about anything else. It's, I just want some fluids. And she went there and told him. And then she went there and told him, this is over a few hours. I didn't get the fluid order. Mm. And I remember thinking, remember back in the day when you could just call the nurse, when you were rounding on another floor and say, hey, you know what? I forgot to write that fluid order. Or they'll call you. Hey, this patient needs fluid. Sure. Go ahead. Do this. Set this up. I'll come by and I'll sign it in a little bit. Yeah. And so I'd write it down that I gave that verbal order. They write it in the chart, verbal order. The fluids would have got hung. Mm. And I sat there and waited because it needed to be put in the computer. You know what? Fuck the computer. Yeah, exactly. And the, th and the thing is, yeah. the thing is now, now, now we've trained our, our staff so much to be dependent on the computer yeah. that when it fails, it's downtime orders and everyone panics, man. Yep. But I'll tell you, when I worked at Stanford and we had Epic, then I would cross the bay because we would rotate to Washington Hospital mm -hmm. and Fremont Community Hospital. There was nothing. It was paper charts to start with yep. and just read-only version of Epic. Yep. Oh my God, it was great. Yeah. And you know yeah. what? We were 100% more collegial. Yes. We had a, a doctor's lounge. The nurses and us were all friends. We would yes. talk to each other. It was fucking great. Yes. And people now are relying too much on the computer. And I realized that during my stay in the ICU because I had... Um, there was an, there was an ICU attending. I think I only saw him once and he didn't really do anything. It was really neurology would come in and then I had neurosurgery. And then because UMC has this continuity of care, the internal medicine doctor that I was going to be transferred to on the floor eventually would come in and see me. Mm. So I would have four doctors and I would have a few different residents who rarely identified themselves or what service they were on. Mm. Um, and they weren't talking to each other. Yeah. And so there was no teamwork. And one would come in and tell me this is the plan. And then someone else would come in the room and tell me a different plan. Mm. And 
at one point I thought, thank God I'm alert and oriented because I'm going to make my own plan. Mm. So I talked to the neurosurgeon and then I talked to a bunch of my neurosurgery friends and they were, they all had the same plan. They were all on the same page. And I said, this is what we're going to do. Neurosurgery says we're going to do this, this, and this, and we're going to do this, this, and this. So if the ICU resident came in and said, oh, we're going to discharge you today, out, go talk to neurosurgery. Like, I can't, I can't do that. And the neurology would come in and say, well, we think we're going to discharge you tomorrow, maybe the day after. We'll do CTA as an outpatient. And I just said, look, I can't. There's so many different opinions here. Please talk to neurosurgery. Please. We're just going to do what neurosurgery says because they are taking this very seriously because you can miss an aneurysm on the first angio. And yeah, go ahead. No, no. So I want to ask you this because what did the angio show? Because I think people are asking like, wait, so what was it? Was it an aneurysm? What was it? So my uh, CTA was negative. And um, when the resident came in the room, his response was, your CTA is negative, and that's kind of weird. That's how that was relayed to me. <laughs> <laughs> so you had a bleed on your standard CT non-con. Is that what they saw? Uh, yeah. So they saw a subarachnoid hemorrhage on the CT. The CTA was negative. So they didn't see anything didn't bleeding see anything from a vessel, right? No aneurysm, right? And so then they said, okay, we need to do an angiofemoral approach the next day. So I was scheduled with interventional radiology uh, I went in Monday morning at 9 a.m. I got that at Tuesday morning, 9 a.m. Got it. And it was negative. Got and at it. that time, so my baseline heart rate, this is another thing. My baseline heart rate is in the 40s, and my blood pressure baseline is 90 over 60 consistently. Right, because you're an athlete. Right. An endurance athlete. Yeah. So my initial hospitalization, when I was first hospitalized, my blood pressure was like 120s over 80s, and my heart rate was like 60, 70. So it's a little bit higher. High for you, yeah. Yeah, high for me. And so um, when I went to have my first annual, they were able to give me a little bit of Versed um, to relax me for the angio. Um, so I remember being relaxed, and they they, they have to walk you through it. Um, and then you have to, the, the either the tech or the radiologist um, says to hold your breath. So you hold your breath. They shoot the contrast, and they take pictures. And you can feel the contrast in each blood vessel wow. of your brain. It's Crazy. fascinating. It's and fascinating. You're, and you're also kind of doped out a little on Versed. While this yeah, so I, the, the first angio, I was, I was a little uh, relaxed. Yes. Um, but I was awake and aware um and i could feel it but i I was okay with it the second angio all my vitals had gone back to normal Mm. so my baseline heart rate was like it was 43 i think when i went down there and 90 over 60 and nobody wanted to give me any sedation Mm. so they were treating the numbers they're treating the numbers Mm. so they don't one you know in the hospital everyone's so used to treating sick patients they don't know how to treat healthy patients Uh. And so, definitely true. Yeah, yeah. and um, they really they didn't want to give me any sedation. And I said, I'm about to have this angio with no sedation. Let's do this. Like I don't have a choice. Let's do it. Yeah. And it was it wasn't painful. You don't really need an opiate for this procedure. Yeah. If I were to if I were to tell physicians, uh, even patients, you don't need fentanyl. You don't need opiate. You need the Versed. Right. <laughs> I had significant anxiety because yeah. I could kind of feel that coil, and I was like, ooh, ooh. Ooh. Wow. Ooh. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's just much, it's, you know, everything's more intense. The contrast is more intense when they're like, hold your breath. And I just thought, whoa. <laughs> Man. Yeah, it was way more intense. But you could, whatever, you know, I got through it. Yeah, but you're you. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, a regular patient would need Versed for that procedure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, it was negative. Wow. So the... Response I got from the neurologist is that we don't know why you bled. We don't know what this is. Um, you, uh, 
what did he say? The chance of this happening to you is like hitting, get, getting hit by lightning. Um, the chance of it ever happening again is probably getting hit by lightning twice. Mm. So live your life, go do your thing. But I still didn't have what it was, what a diagnosis was. I'm like, well, how can you say that so you if had you a, don't know what it is? You had a subarachnoid bleed without a source. Yeah, without an aneurysm. Without an aneurysm. aneurysm. So when you look at stroke, 87% are ischemic, and the other 13% are subarachnoid hemorrhage. And then when you just take the subarachnoid hemorrhage, um, 80-something percent, maybe 85% is aneurysm bleed, Mm. whether or trauma, ruptured aneurysm. And then the other 10% is non-aneurysm subarachnoid hemorrhage, and that's what I had. And so the working diagnosis is uh, perimesencephalic subarachnoid hemorrhage. Say that five times fast. Perimesencephalic subarachnoid hemorrhage. And that's what my wife called it when when she saw your stuff. Yes. She was like, oh, yes, we see this. And I was like, huh? Yeah. Because as a hospital, I'm like, ¿Cómo? Uh, yeah, I right. never heard of it. It was the first time I'd ever heard of it. Right. And so the the neurosurgeon was the one who came in and said, you had a perimesencephalic subarachnoid hemorrhage. We don't know why people have this. Um, it could be an arterial venous bleed. It's thought to be more of... To- it's thought to be more to have a venous source, but we mm. don't know. Mm. Um, but patients do very well. Um, there's no long-term risk. You can go back to living your life doing your thing. So there's no limitations so it was like Whatsoever. an anomaly that happened. Yes. And, and you're not doing lines of coke nope. and smoking crack and nope. doing meth. Now, by the way, I was not tested for that. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. <laughs> oh, Kathy T is a local doctor in town. We'll give her a pass, treat her as a VIP. So it's funny, you got all the negative effects off being a physician patient. Unfortunately, yes. Being a woman, being blonde, living in Vegas. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it was... It varied by provider in terms of the judgment or the the treatment that I got. So, you know, probably that first PA, I was just some little white blonde girl in Vegas who was drunk and just needed a cocktail. Right. And a migraine cocktail, one not the, a real cocktail. One of the few times <laughs> white people get treated worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. White, what, what is it? White bias or white whatever. White bias, yeah. right, right, right. Um, and then the other times, um, I think I was treated differently because I was a physician. Right. Um, but physicians have substance use disorders. And physicians, I mean, cocaine and methamphetamines in Nevada are coming back as the number one abused substances, even more than heroin. Mm. And so when someone comes in with any type of head bleed, you should be testing for substances that cause any of those things. And cocaine is known to cause subarachnoid hemorrhage. Yeah, of course. And well, the, first thing, the first thing I and thought- And I wouldn't have been offended. I know. When I, when I read your story, I'm like, am I, did I not know Kathy was a coke abuser? You know? Because, I don't like to tell people. I know. You don't, neither do I. I just <laughs> snort it and then pretend I didn't. Uh, but no, I mean, it, you, you have to treat your patients as if you would treat any other patient. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem with the VIP syndrome. That's a problem with physicians. And again, you were a victim of all these biases. Like yep. what if that were the case? They would have missed that. Yep. And, the yeah. other thing that was interesting is for the pain management throughout the hospitalization stay um, was interesting. Mm. So when I, you know, people push opiates more than I was, uh, I was surprised, to be honest. So 
they would ask what my pain score was and I would say, look, you know, it's a, it's, let's say it's a moderate pain. Let's, I'll give it a five. I think mm. I gave it like a five, six at baseline. And then it would, again, crescendo to a 10 and then it would come back down. But it would be there for, you know, a few seconds and come down. And I kept telling myself, you know what, I, I can tolerate this. But at night it got pretty bad. And they kept telling me, we don't have any pain medication for this. You have to take an opiate. An opiate's the only thing that works. Wow. That's it. And, you know, I, I hadn't looked up, I had photophobia at the time, and I did this later, but I hadn't looked up the guidelines for pain management of subarachnoid hemorrhage. Mm. And I couldn't initially, because I had, I couldn't read the computer screen. My mom had come at this time, she'd brought my computer in, but I couldn't look at the screen. So... I remember one night it was particularly bad and I had trouble sleeping. I thought, you know, let me just try a little bit of fentanyl. Just give me a little bit. And one reason they use fentanyl, it has a lower hypotensive effect. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why they give the fentanyl. And so I got a dose of it. I remember sitting there sometime later just feeling sedated and tired, but the pain was still there. It didn't mm -hmm. do anything. Mm -hmm. And um, I just thought, you know, this stuff doesn't work. And when you have opiates in a situation where where you need to monitor for neurological compromise, uh, it's not really the best medication to use. So I told the nurse once I was the next morning, I said, take it off my med list. I don't want it on my med list. I'm not going to take it. It didn't work. It sedated me and it could alter my neurological exam. And I don't want another $100,000 workup for a stroke I didn't have. Wow. Holy shit, man. Yeah. You know, it's so rare in these interviews where I'm just sitting here like this the whole time. <laughs> like just getting schooled. Like... This is amazing. You know, we did a show with a dude uh, out of Yale who was talking about subcutaneous opioid yes, protocols. Yes, I saw that. That was cool. Right. And it's interesting because we do in the hospital create a lot of problems. Because what if you, what if they had given you like just repeated opioids? Right. You're getting the buzz without any um Without benefit, any pain relief, yep. And, and the next thing you know, you're out on the pills and the next thing you know, you're doing heroin. Yep. And yep. You know? Yep. And nobody did, that's the other thing, nobody did any type of uh, opiate risk assessment or addiction assessment. So nobody asked me if I had a history of addiction to any substance or if I had abused any substance in the past. No one had asked if I had a family history of addiction. Now, sure, you walk in and they'll say, what's your family history? Uh, my mom, you, you think immediate, like, um, my mom has diabetes and uh, high blood pressure, whatever it is. And then you move on. But I've learned in my practice you have to specifically ask about addiction because patients don't identify that as a medical disorder. They will not tell you. Mm -hmm. So you have to ask, you know, have you ever used a substance? And I don't use legality as a uh, You don't a judge say point. an illegal substance, right? Legal, illegal doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter. I mean, people are addicted to food. Look at the obesity yeah, epi yeah. epidemic. Sugar's legal. People are addicted to it. So legality has nothing to do with addiction. Um, so I would specifically ask, you know, do you have a personal history of addiction? Do you have a personal history of using substances that alter your mind that, you know, you have a problem with? Do you have a family history of any addiction to anything? I mean, I just opened the floodgates. Gambling, uh, food, nicotine, alcohol. Um, and so, the, and they'll tell you. But if you don't specifically ask, I've never had a patient just tell me their, their father was an alcoholic and mm -hmm. their family medical history unless I asked specifically. Right. And that never happened in my stay. And when you look at all the opiate risk tools for who's at risk for addiction, nobody asked me any of those specific questions. So you, they would never know. So the question is to me was why you're, you're encouraging opiates for what I later found out when I later on when I Googled 
uh, I literally did a Google search and then did a PubMed search on what the guidelines were for pain management and subarachnoid hemorrhage. There are none because nothing works. Oh, wow. Yeah. Opiates don't work. (laughs) They don't work. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, and I would read some of these websites, you know, opiates are the only pain reliever, give fentanyl, give fentanyl, but there would be no citation Mm. for where they got that data from. Mm. It was just like, you should do this, but I couldn't find the literature supporting it. Right. (laughs) Because there's none. You know, Kathy, it's, it's crazy because when this all happened, I think a couple weeks had gone by, you've been discharged, you Mm -hmm. were doing okay. The crisis was over, the yep. acute crisis. And I think I'd had my MRI. I had to have a repeat MRI to make sure when the blood was gone that there wasn't a tumor. Right. So yep. how did that go? Fine. Fine. Normal. Good. Normal. And, and and I remember you reached out and you're like, you're like, there was a lot of shit that went fucking crazy that your audience needs to know about. Yeah. And I said, yeah, it sounds like it. And then you sent a typed yeah. thing because you were like, I need to type this out before I forget. It took me a few days and I had to think and go back and yeah. And I still have it. Yeah. And it is 90% more detailed and more angry. Yeah. Because I think you were truly traumatized by this experience at the time. At the time I was. Now yeah. now I'm still just mad about the wine headache. Like yeah, that really pisses me off thing. still. That's the yeah. main thing. Because it affected my entire stay because I was worried I was going to be judged. Because I'd been judged in my first encounter. So every time someone came in the room, I made sure that I wasn't – I really – tried to make it a point not to be judged. So I knew about asshole doctors as patients. I wasn't going to be an asshole. I was trying to be nice. Um, I also knew that people, um, you know, I I just really tried to make it easy um, because I was so afraid of, I was afraid of being judged because I had been judged and it could have, could have cost me, could have cost, and it, it could cost other patients. So when you look at young patients who present with stroke. And classically for my type of stroke, um, it's severe worst headache of your life, nausea, vomiting. You can, you can get meninges, meningeal signs um, and you can get photophobia, but mostly it's severe headache, nausea, vomiting. And that's all it is. And that's and that all could it be, is. That could be mixed up with a lot of things. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so when I went and looked at some of the numbers um, in terms of stroke, uh, the the ischemic the rates for ischemic stroke are increasing in patients ages thirty to forty because of obesity and diabetes yeah. and hypertension, but in my my non aneurysm type stroke uh, where there we don't know the risk factors there aren't really any risk factors it's just a random event those types of strokes are not increasing I see and so when a young patient comes in it's not you you still have stroke is still in your differential diagnosis. You still have to assess for it. You have to think about it. It's got to be on that list because ischemic stroke is going up in the population. Yeah. Uh, and you will see young patients with stroke. And there was an article I was reading um, in New York Times where they quoted an article, uh, a study that showed that one in seven patients that are younger that present with stroke are misdiagnosed. I, I think I saw that article and we actually did a show on a UCLA study about young people with stroke. And then we made a video, Can't Feel My Face, Parody yeah. of the Weekends, yeah. trying to recognize the FAST acronym. And now it's even BFAST, right? Balance and yes, I forget yes, what the E yes. is now. I, it's, they always add acronyms. Well, someone will have yeah. to school me on this. But but the bottom line is it's a real thing and young yes. people. And I, I don't know if I ever told you the story. This is nothing like what you went through and yet a parallel tract where it was minor, mm-hmm. but could have been 
the end of my life. Yeah. And it was simply, yeah. I'm sitting there with Josh Poino, we're running turntable, it's like mm -hmm. three, four years ago. And I start, I'm typing on the computer, and this is again, what's it like when a physician becomes a patient, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, the, and, and there's a shame component, because what, what you said about how you were judged for the wine headache, let's not um, minimize that. Yeah. It tainted the entire stay for you because you're you're now there's a component of shame yeah. or judgment. We all as humans feel that. And think about our poor patients who come in and maybe they're uh, uh, addicted to crack cocaine. Yeah. They and get judged all the time. They get judged all the time. Yeah. It's not a disease, they're crazy. Get That's them out. right. And 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 in the beginning and and it it you don't think that taints their stay, right? It, 100%. Ev we're biased on every level for everything against physicians because it's the VIP syndrome. Uh, uh, there's racial bias, there's socioeconomic bias, there's substance abuse and legal bias. How do we treat our jail patients? All these other things. Yeah. Because we're not perfect, we're humans. That's yeah. how we, we, we can't blame people for this, we, but we have to institute institutional structures that help us do better. That's why I think certain protocols, certain processes, certain repeatable steps would have prevented some of the, the mistings that might have happened. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I, you know, I mean, I teach this um, even to patients when they come into me with a complaint. I have a, it's called a differential diagnosis. We practice medicine based on probabilities, right? right? So you have a list of probabilities, you have a list of possibilities, and what our job is to do is to figure out what the diagnosis is, but we have to work through this. And so I tell patients, it may be this, it may be this, this is what we're gonna do to try to figure this out. And so I try to educate my patients on that because I have had some patients say, oh, I went to this doctor and they misdiagnosed me, so I just left. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So maybe they did, but did they have a list of things that it could be that they were working through? Mm. Sometimes we don't get it right the first time. I yeah. get it. Yeah, that's why, that's why we're- A differential diagnosis is there. It's not, this is what you have, bye. So Annie Reed says balance and BE stands for balance and eyes, vision changes. Oh, yes, yeah, yes. Which makes and I had photo, does photophobia account yeah, vision I would changes? Think yeah, so. I would think yeah. so. Now, the other thing I would say, so we were talking about um, you know protocols. I'll say to the defense of UMC Hospital, they're probably the best hospital in town. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And I've seen the same I thing. I still had good care by most right, of right, it, right. yeah. But the thing is, what happened to you happens at the best academic medical centers yeah. around the country. Yeah. And it's this discohesion, Competing processes. Uh, the they're fact on the computer. They're they think on the other people reading their note and they don't have to communicate. We, That's a problem. We call that electronic silos. Oh, it's terrible. And we put it in our rap song, EHR State of Mind, for that very reason, that they are horrible. It yep. used to be we talked to each other. So yep. that's the other thing. And then working as a team that's cohesive instead of these separate elements always trying to turf and bump and, well, we're going to discharge you. No, we're not going to discharge you. Yeah. What you yeah. did was you took an advocacy role and said, listen, no, we're going to do what the quarterback says. And in this case, with this disease, yes. it's the neurosurgeon. It's neurosurgery. It's yeah. neurosurgery. It's, neurosurgery. it's not the yeah. intern. It's not this. Yeah. And, and that's brilliant. So that's yeah. a lesson for people for self-advocacy in the hospital. Yeah. We will, you and I will do a show in the future about how to advocate for yourself when okay. you're in the hospital. Let's I think it's it. a great topic. And that'll be out for the muggles, right? Okay. Now, this, getting back to what happened to me, because it's, this is all about me, Kathy. Like, yes, of you course. almost died. Yes, you're a superhero athlete. Yes, you're an amazing pain doc and a tremendous teacher. And I'm humbled in your presence, honestly. It's Aww. like, it's amazing to sit here and listen to you. And but hear about me. So let's do it. I'm sitting here, I'm typing on the computer, and I I suddenly have a visual defect. 
So I cannot see the words on the page. And I'm looking at it. And now at this point, I'm 39 or 40. Yeah, your first thought's probably, how much coffee did I have exactly. today? That's exactly. what I would have thought. I'm like rubbing my eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting with Josh, and we're both working on trying to get turntable off the ground. And it's, you know, 110 degrees outside. It's one of my, maybe my first or second Vegas summer. Maybe my first Vegas yeah. summer, right? I'm coming from the Bay Area. And I'm like, man, this is weird. And then finally, I'm like, Josh, are you... Can you, is my computer screwed up? I slide it over. He's like, no, it's fine. He reads it to me. I'm like, I can't read a single word on this. It's all rubbish. And then things started getting weirder. So all my peripheral vision started to get kind of hazy. And I oh, started God. seeing the words kind of moving and, and getting this feeling of um, disengagement. Like something's not right. Like the tunnel is closing and I'm, and I've never felt this in my life. I'm like, holy shit, no headache, no nothing. So at this point, I turn to Josh and I go, Josh Poino, like, I don't want to frighten you. I'm a 40-year-old <laughs> man. And at this point, I didn't realize that I had this clotting predisposition that I'd done 23andMe and found out I have Factor V Leiden, oh. heterozygous, and prothrombin 2020A heterozygous. So if I'd known that, I would have gone to the ER right when away. When you're done with this story, I want to ask you a question about 23andMe. Oh, totally, totally, yeah. totally. That's a good conversation. So at this point, I'm just a, a youngish guy has no family history of anything. Mm -hmm. I'm a physician and I'm going through the differential in my head. Yep. My head is foggy. Right. So you don't get the full di differential because you're not 100%. I did the same thing. Uh, you're not yeah. 100%. Yeah. Isn't it weird? And yeah. you're sitting there going, okay, yeah. I hope I'm not missing anything because, mm -hmm. you know, even at my best, I'm pretty developmentally delayed. Yeah. And now, <laughs> now I'm really at a disadvantage, right? And I'm with a guy who's 23 who has knows nothing about medicine, right? Yeah. So in a, in a strange town with no support except for, you know, the family's off somewhere. So I start going, okay, Josh, I need you to... Google for me in a doctor way. So I need you to Google visual field disturbance, no headache. And he does that. Uh -huh. And he comes up with uh, some images. And I can now see only out of the corner of my vision. My, my macular vision is oh, bad. Wow. So I look out of the corner and it shows exactly what I'm starting to see, which is a fortification spectra, which is a scintillating sort of thing like this with distortion all around it. And it's in both eyes. I close my eyes, I see it in both eyes. When I close my eyes, I still see it. Wow. And at this point, I'm like, this sounds like a migraine aura, but I have no headache yeah. and I've never had migraines. And I go, okay, listen, Josh, this is the thing. I'm going to self-diagnose myself right now with a new onset migraine aura without headache. So did you go to the ER and get a migraine cocktail? Fioraset, so, <laughs> <laughs> little Dilala, yeah. right. No, I told him, I said, if I stop being able to speak, if I look weak, if I'm not able to stand, if there's anything else wrong with me, you are responsible for taking me, not taking me, calling 911. Yep. And uh, he goes, you could see this kid, he's yeah. 23. His yeah. eyes get really big. Yeah. And he's like this doctor is telling me yeah. that there's a chance that he's gonna have to call 911. And so he, now suddenly he, all eyes are on me, right? Yeah. And I'm like, just give me a few minutes, I'm gonna sit here, give me a water, and I'm watching it happen. I'm like, oh, this is like I remember from the textbook. And then it evolves out and I start to get better. And then a little mild headache, right? Frontotemporal. Yeah. And it lasted, the whole thing lasted about an hour and it was done. Wow. And I tell you, if I were a muggle, I would have gone to the ER yeah. and it would have been the right answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Now, in retrospect, yep. it was. I, I've had them then since then maybe two, three times. Yeah. And it has to do probably with, I talked to a neurology buddy at UCSF. Uh -huh. 
high high heat, low humidity environments for the first time often oh. can trigger that in some patients, uh, migraines uh, with visual symptoms. And so for me, that's probably what it so was. is that was, why you're moving? That's why I'm moving, yeah. I know I'm, uh, you know what though, Kathy T? What? We're gonna still have you on the show all okay. the time. Because I'm still gonna be back in Vegas quite a bit and we're keeping the studio. Yeah, the studio is amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so don't you don't you fret, Kathy T. Vegas is still near and dear to my heart. Um, but yeah, so the bottom line is we need to be better patients. Yeah. But see, the thing is, if you hadn't advocated as a physician, yeah. things could have gotten ugly. And you might've gotten a test that wasn't necessary that then led to iatrogenic complications that then led to real problems. Yeah. So it's scary. It really is. It really is scary. And the, um, you know, after I was, uh, when I was, <clears throat> uh, the other, the last thing that happened, or the, there are two more things that happened in terms of medications. So when I was on the step-down unit, that sacral pain got worse. Yeah, tell me about that sacral pain, yeah. And we never followed up on yeah, that. Yeah, so the headache started getting better, and the sacral pain got worse, and it would come very randomly. And at one point, I was I got up in the morning and I was doing, I wasn't allowed to exercise mm. um, for about a month or two. So I was doing like leg swings, range of motion exercises, and I'm standing there and I go to walk around the unit and I, thank God I was right by my bed. It came on and it was so severe. I had to get in bed. I was, I almost fell, fell down because mm. the pain was so bad. And I thought, okay, I got to ask about, I got to ask about this again. So I called a neurosurgery friend. Cause I was like, I'm not asking the, I can't, you know, neurology. I'd ask neurology. They, I don't know what that is. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah. The internal medicine, uh, ask neurology, uh, you know, it's just, uh, punt, punt, punt. They just would punt it to somebody else and then it would get punted again. So my neurosurgery friend said, oh, I know exactly what that is. <laughs> he said, probably what happened is the blood products have descended to the lower ethical sac and that's why it's pulsating. It's just causing pain down there. So that will resolve. Holy and I thought, fucking shit. so I was pissed. Why didn't I think that? Well, because you're not a yeah, neurosurgeon. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that, but it makes so much sense. And so, and it pulsated like my headache had pulsated. Because blood vessels then are that are beating are squeezing the blood products. Yes, and yeah. yes. Holy crap. Yes, it was just very bizarre that it outlined, like it perfectly outlined my sacrum. It was the bizarrest thing ever. Is that the way the thecal sac is just shaped? I don't even know. I don't know the so anatomy So it, it comes around the spinal cord and then um, it ends around, I think like S1, S2 in that lower thecal area. So that lower uh, sacral area. And so I think just because I had a little bit down there, it was pulling there. Yeah. Um, and that's why it just affected the sacral roots and, and so, the sacral area. Some of that pain may even be referred. I mean, you never know, right? Whether it's- It was crazy. Kind of deep pain. Yeah. And and nothing really helped. So at that point, I thought, you know what? I need something for this because this is bad. But yeah. again, I didn't want opiate. Yeah. By this time, my photophobia had gone away. Right. So now I'm on doing my PubMed searches on pain management for you know meningeal pain. And I look up gabapentin because I'm like, gabapentin would be great for this. Yeah. And the, the internal medicine doctor didn't want to write me any medications until he cleared it with neurology. Okay. Because he didn't feel comfortable. Totally respectable. Get I that. get it. Yeah. I get it. So I said, okay, I'm going to bill a level four pain management consult. I'm going to do my own pain management. So I go through. 
<laughs> so I go look up gabapentin, and it actually was recently approved for safety for in, in bleeds, in, in uh, any type of head bleed. You can use gabapentin safely. That came out in like 2014, 2015. So mm. I was like, okay, check, safe. Next, what, it, you know, what can I, you know, now what dose should I start myself at? You know, and so I thought, well, I'll just start it what I would what I would start in a patient my age. So I ha- I told the nurse, I said, call the doctor and have him write 300 milligrams of gabapentin <laughs> in the morning and then two 300s at night. Let me start with one. I'll take two if I need it. Let's just see. And she's like, she says, okay. So she calls the internal medicine doctor who refuses to do it, calls a neurologist. And so I don't hear back for maybe a day or because I was in the hospital for eight days. So it was like two days later. <coughs> that the internal medicine doctor comes in. He goes, I'm sorry, I didn't want to write anything. I had to clear it with neurology. Neurology said it was okay. I said, oh, yeah, no, I, I know it's okay. I can send you the, the the data that they did that this is safe to use in, in bleeding. And he said, I'll just write whatever, you know, whatever you want. And so then they ended up writing it. So I took it and it ended up helping. I could sleep. Wow. So I took the gabapentin at night, which really helped me sleep, which did help just overall. You did your own pain I did my consult. own now, see, consult. See, this is the thing. The instinct on the part of the team is to be defensive about that. Yeah. Oh, fuck. No, right. they weren't defensive at all, which but was nice. That's good. But I'm sure they would have. <laughs> if it were me, I would have been defensive. Yeah, you would have been like, shut up. Yeah, like, oh, great. Yeah. Actually, that's not true because when you have a specialist, yeah. right? So Kathy T is a pain specialist. It's mm-hmm. one thing if you're a psychiatrist and you're like, okay, I want dilaudid for my- I need Xanax. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, <laughs> then you're like, well, hmm, physician, treat thyself with thy drugs and become thy addict. Yeah. Uh, sorry, suffer from thy addiction. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you were at, you had a question for me about 23andMe. Okay, so my 23andMe, when I did it, came back, it was like stellar. So what I wanted to do is send it to my insurance company for a discount. <laughs> okay, I'm going I'm to take, take exception with this, and I'll tell you why. Because mine was fucked up. And if my insurance company, if there are pre-existing conditions, even though I've had no clots, nothing, they're going to look at the fact that I have a 75% lifetime probability of having a DVT yep. based on studies that are squirrely. Yep. And they're going to say, you're uninsurable. Yep. Right? So it's a yep. double-edged sword. Yep. And I did go, so if you go, so whenever you have some type of health, well, I looked up perimesencephalic stroke and future outcomes. Yeah. And on the stroke AHA website, they did a study on this because patients were being denied health and uh, health insurance and life insurance. Based on the previous stroke. Yes, based on the previous stroke. So it is published in the stroke journal that patients with perimesencephalic stroke do well, have little to no risk of re-bleeding and have no change in their life expectancy. Mm -hmm. And so we should not be judged or penalized by physicians' life and health insurances. Thank God they published that. That's so good. It's amazing. Because you know it's come up. Yeah, Yeah. and unfortunately in medicine now we have to think this way and we have to publish shit like that. Yeah, yeah. God bless us sometimes. I know. And and I hate it sometimes. Sometimes we do okay stuff. Sometimes we do okay and sometimes we are so fallible and I want to be replaced by a computer. You know? Yeah, some days I'm like, computer's just doing (laughs) <laughs> by the way i want to thank uh, kathy t for a specific gift that she gave me she brought she always comes bearing gifts and today's gift is this i was hoping for a battle of wits with you but you appear to be unarmed and this is specifically aimed at you every single anti-vaxxer that i'm looking at <laughs> so thank you by the way we did a whole show on like how anti-vax memes are just the dumbest the like, memes the memes oh that's right <laughs> 
I That's call right. Mems. Yeah, Kathy T on our first show, she's like, isn't it Mems? Like you did not know the pronunciation of meme yeah. because why would you? And even when you correct me, I was like, it's a mem. It's a mem. It's a mem. You know what? I think it's la même chose in French, <laughs> the same thing. You know, plus, yeah. la, plus, plus le change, plus c'est la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, exactly. And Mems have stayed the same yeah. for too long with anti-vaxxers. They are dumb. Yeah. Kathy T, any parting words? Oh, maybe we'll take, should we take some comments and sure, hit, hit sure. me with the and parting we'll words? Do, parting words are, you know, there are a lot of people who um, your life could end at any moment. You don't know how much time you have here. This is getting dark. Actually, no. I mean, I think that you really have to analyze what you're doing and if you're happy. And if you aren't, you know, if you have a bucket list, if there are things you want to do and you haven't done them, if you're unhappy with something you're doing, you need to make a change, do it now because you really don't know how much time you have left. So make the most of what time you do have. Damn. I mean, living in the moment, me, hell nah. I'm always living three <laughs> seconds behind, girl. <laughs> I'm like I mean, still, yesterday. I'm still living in this moment. <laughs> hey guys, what's going on? Anyways, man, I... I got to say, I think, I mean, the comments are mostly like, ah, so there's not much to read here. I I just got to say this, like, I'm so glad you were alive, that you were well. Me too. I'm so glad that you could come out of this and teach us about everything that's wrong and right. And also, I think you're going to save a life because someone's going to have this symptom and is going to go in and be like, I remember Kathy T talking about this and I'm not going to miss it. So. Dude, so grateful to you. Oh, thank you. So grateful. So looking forward to hanging out in the future and having you back on the show. Oh, thank you. And I still think that guest host, that like Z-Dog and Kathy T, like kind of like Regis and Kathy Lee. We should. I've thought about that with like the wine, like I'll have a glass of wine. Of course you will. And then they'll accuse you of having a wine headache. Yeah. And then I'll be a drunkard. (laughs) (laughs) It always struck me that Regis was the alcoholic. Yeah. You know, hey, what's going on? I don't know. Hey, give me a note. What's this? Water? No, it's vodka. Uh, Kathy T, thanks again. Z Pack, I want to thank you for being with us. Supporters, thank you so much. Sign up as a supporter if you haven't. If you're seeing this on the replay, please share it with people you care about. Spread the word. And we out. Peace. Do we need a thumbnail, Tom Heineber? Thumbnail. thumbnail. Okay, we look over here, Kathy T, and we get, we kind of, we make a face, like the thumbnail face, like duck face. Both of Wait, us duck face. Wait, am I looking here? No, at that little camera up there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right in the lens, and you make a little duck face. Hmm? Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. (laughs) And so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, 
how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.